0: Uh, I, we have a pop quiz this morning, I want you to know. So we're, I'm going to test your, your knowledge on some things. It may be a little easier than you expect it to be, though. So I'm going to uh, ask some pretty general questions. I, I don't think these answers are too difficult. So, um, so I'm going to ask you all to raise your hand, and then I'm maybe going to call on a, a, a few specific people. So raise your hand if you would like to be able to describe yourself as joyful. Raise your hand. All right, good. All right. Good job. Good answer. Very good. All right. So raise your hand if you would like to be able to describe yourself as content. Raise your hand. Okay. If not, I mean, I guess you don't have to. But, okay. All right. So, uh, so uh, uh, Pastor Don, Pastor Don, would you like to be able to describe yourself as at peace? That, yes. Oh, okay. Good. That's a good answer. A plus. A plus for Pastor Don over here. Uh, how, about, uh, how about Natalie? Natalie, would you like to be able to describe yourself as strong in character? Yes. Okay, very good. Grace, uh, would you like to be able to describe yourself as having a contagious faith? Oh, good. Oh, my goodness. You guys are doing such. So, you guys are like rocking this pop quiz, I want you to know. Uh, Miss Lynn, would you like to describe yourself as uh, being patient? Yes. Okay. Me too. Okay. So I just <laughs> we're on the same page there, uh, uh, Jim. Would you like to be able to describe yourself as a compassionate person? Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. You know, like the flying colors, y'all. Okay. Good. You passed the pop quiz. No concerns there. I want you to know you did a very, very good job. Because for the most part, like we would be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't want those things to describe them. Right? Like, it's no surprise uh, when we read commands that tell us to, like, let these things describe us. Because, well, we all would like to be more patient. Like, nobody likes being impatient. Like, that's not something that we enjoy doing. We would all like to be a little bit more humble. Because the times, like, when we figure out that we're not very humble, they're a little painful. Right? So, so these are things that I, I think, like, by and large, maybe... Maybe even if you're not a Christian, you would still love for this to describe you, right? Like, some of these things are, are, are really, really good. So, these are regular characteristics that we are called to exhibit. We, we read a lot about this kind of stuff in the, in the New Testament. And so, this morning, I actually I want to talk about our pathway to becoming those things. Uh, but before we do that, I have to talk about uh, some moments when we discover the Lord graciously shows us that those things do not describe us at all. Uh, so, so those are really special moments that, that uh, he gets to share with us where he reveals some things. And so, uh, so for example, you might not notice that you're lacking in humility uh, until maybe a coworker challenges you at work. Uh, and then, instead of listening to your coworker and seeking to understand them, you know, like, like we're supposed to do, um, you shut them down and, uh, and, and then uh, maybe just have a few short comments to make sure that they can't say anything else afterwards. Okay, so, so you don't notice you need humility until that moment. Very good. Uh, maybe you thought that you were a pretty loving person, and then, like, you were at the store, and you ran across that person. Now, I don't know who that person is, but I know that you wanted to avoid that person uh, because it was hard for you to be around them, right? So maybe that's you. Uh, that's not me. I just want you to know. Um, so uh, so you might, you might have considered yourself to be pretty at peace uh, until somebody made a comment that you took the wrong way and kind of went down this trail and, and went down all of these interpretations. And so, uh, so you just have not been able to get over that comment that that person made. And now you might have thought you were at peace, but, but you discover that you're not. Okay, so real situation for me, I used to think I was a pretty patient person. In fact, a lot of people in my life might have described me as a pretty patient person. And then you guys know what happened? Like something, a, a massive change occurred in my life. What happened? Is I had a baby! Like, my, I am not, guys, I'm not a patient person. I, like, I am discovering more and more and more that, like, gosh, I'm really lacking in some things that the Lord wants for me here. Okay, so here's something fun. Um, we don't, we, t- we don't tend to notice that we're lacking in these things uh, until the Lord puts us into situations where he can show us really clearly that we're lacking in them. So, uh, so the reality is, these, these are things that we want. We do want these things to describe us, but sometimes they seem just a little bit out of our grasp. Uh, so, so here's a newsflash. The solution to our lack in these qualities we're going to be really tempted to think that the solution is that we need to try harder and do better like we need to try to be more patient you need to just be more patient did you notice that the patient is an adjective which means that it's not a verb i can't patient somebody i cannot i cannot actually do the act of patience i just am a patient person right so it's a hard command to follow because it's actually like a characteristic that has to describe me. So the, to the solution to becoming more patient is not try harder and do better. Unfortunately, it's not. Now, now there is uh, what we're going to learn this morning and, and what I hope that even the entire time that we spent in the book of Colossians is going to show us is that, um, that the pathway... From here to those characteristics, wherever here is, wherever you're located, and wherever those characteristics might be to con- like consistently describe you, the pathway from here to there, it's not try harder and do better, it is worship. The pathway from here to there is worship. So uh, we're in Colossians 3, and um, so there's a bit of a problem with the way that we've been walking through this book, because we take it chunk by chunk by chunk. So, uh, so we take a few verses at a time. Work through them and, and work through and another few verses after that. And, and so we, we can tend to separate these into independent chunks. And that's problematic because then we, we kind of treat each chunk as a piece in its own right. Um, and, and then what happens is that we don't understand necessarily the context that goes in. To each passage. So even the passage that we're going to read this morning, it involves a lot of commands and a lot of characteristics. And if we if we just took this passage independently, we would miss the whole point, the whole way that these characteristics actually come to describe us. Because what we have before this point is uh, two and a half whole chapters describing to us who Jesus is and who we were, where uh, Paul has been writing about this stuff, and now he's going to tell us the kinds of characteristics that should describe us. And so the chunk of Scripture that we're dealing with is so utterly reliant on the previous context that we can't hope uh, to, to understand this text. We can't hope to be what this text is calling us to be without being shaped by everything that Paul has written up to this point. Uh, So I want to talk about, we're not going to walk through all the things that he wrote, but I want to give you four big questions that the book of Colossians is trying to answer. Four big questions that the book of Colossians answers for us. The first question is this, who is Jesus? So, uh, So Paul tells us really clearly in the book of Colossians, who Jesus is. He, he tells us that Jesus is the king of all existence, the God of everything, uh, the, the, the person who made the invisible God visible to us. Okay, this is who Jesus is. And, and, and then who were you? Uh, well, uh, we were dead. I, I think Paul says that like numerous times throughout the book of Colossians. He describes us like when we were in sin, we were dead. We were hopeless. We had no hope of of coming to life. But then Jesus has accomplished something. And that's number three. The third question is, what has Jesus accomplished? Namely, Jesus, he went to the cross. He bore our sin on himself. Uh, he, he stood up there and he took on the weight of, of the wrath of God towards our sin um, so that, we might have the chance to be made alive so that we could uh, be something called born again. And so the fourth question is, who are you now as a result? Well, as a result, when God looks at us, he, he doesn't see the old us, the dead us, but when we place our trust in Jesus, what he sees is he sees Jesus' perfection upon us. He sees that we are righteous and holy and blameless. Like this is the, These are the kind of people that we are, and this is such a tremendous privilege that we have to know and walk with Jesus because we actually have the favor of God upon us. Like, that is, that is a remarkable thing that could be said, that people who were once sinners now have the favor of God resting upon them. So, so to answer these questions, um, because these questions are the foundation of the passage that we're in today. So we need to, we need to be able to answer these questions, but then um, that builds us up. To where we are now. So you remember earlier how I said the pathway to those characteristics that we want, those things that we want to describe us, the pathway is worship. Well, this whole time, as Paul has been writing this book, what he's been doing is he has been writing things to inspire, inside of the Colossians, awe and worship. So even that passage where uh, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, uh, that all things were created through him, like when it says that passage back in Colossians chapter 1, that's a hymn. That's a hymn that the early church used to worship together. So like his whole point here, what he's trying to do is trying to build up inside of these Colossians a sense of awe and wonder at who Jesus is. And so... um, so just so you have some structure this morning, we're going to look at two categories of worship. And these, this worship is actually the worship that's going to lead us to the characteristics uh, that we desire to describe us. So two, two categories of worship. The first category is personal worship. The second category is corporate worship. And what we're going to see is that those categories are not wholly independent from each other. So the two things overlap quite a bit personal worship and corporate worship. But first, we'll start with the pathway of my personal worship. In verse 12, Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he says then, let's look at then. Then, when he says then, it means like he's referring back to everything he said up to that point. So when he says put on then, this is the result of everything that he has been saying. And then he, he reminds them of their identity. So he, this is like the 50th time he's reminded them of their identity. You are God's chosen ones. You are holy. You are beloved. And this is a, a reminder of the point that he's been making the entire time. Now these characteristics, when he tells us to put them on, well these are kind of like the clothes that we wear. Maybe the cloak that, that might cover us. The thing, uh, kind of the thing when we wake up in the morning, we put on our patience. We put on our compassionate hearts like this is the kind of picture that he's giving us and, and and what we understand is that since we have all of the context leading up to this point is that these things are, are a result or they come as a result of the work that Jesus has done so I want to let you know that we're going to get into a list of characteristics um, and instead of telling you how to do them uh, because the try harder do better thing it is kind of challenging Um, so instead of telling you how to do these characteristics how to be these things I want to help us see how grounding ourselves in Jesus um, our personal worship of Jesus our understanding of who he is our love of him, our adoration of him our awe of Jesus how grounding ourselves in Jesus actually has the power to bring these things out of our lives so that's my goal this morning I want to uh, help us be able to see those things So then uh, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So let's start with compassionate hearts. So a compassionate heart is a a personal concern for the downtrodden, the weak, and the broken. A personal concern for the downtrodden, the weak, and the broken. So these are people who are in seemingly desperate situations. So you hear about people who have the, the spiritual gift of mercy These are people, uh, mercy and compassion is the same word. And uh, these are people who have a a very deep concern for people who who are burdened, who are hurt in some way. And so um, I'm going to tell you how grounding ourselves in Jesus can help us to put on compassionate hearts. So when I remember, like, the true desperation of my situation before I came to Jesus. So let me ask, like, do you remember? the true desperation of your situation before you came to Jesus. Uh, because I, I, I had a hard time understanding this about myself earlier on in life, and then as I went on, I began to understand more and more just how desperate I was apart from Jesus. Um, and then I remember the fact that Jesus did, in fact, save me out of that desperation, whatever it looked like. Uh, so, so Psalm 107 says this. It says, uh, verses 10 through 14. I'm going to read it for you. We won't have it up on the screen. But this is what it says. It says that some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So God bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Okay, desperation of the situation. That's, that's where we were at. And then verse 13 says, Then they cried to the Lord, in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Desperation of the situation. And then God does a miraculous work to save desperate people who don't deserve it and pull them out of their desperation. So as I reflect on that, something happens. I actually grow in my impulse. Of concern for people who are in desperate situations, like as I reflect on the desperation of my own situation and what God saved me from, then I grow in my impulse of concern for people who are in desperate situations. okay, kindness um, kindness is a disposition towards others that recognizes their value as fellow image bearers so uh, so when I understand that Jesus who is uh, the God of all existence, like he's way up there. He's really powerful. He's really big. Uh, and then that God who's way up there and really powerful and really big knows me, likes me, loves me, desires to spend time with me, desire, has actually like, chosen to share his gifts of grace and power with me, has given me his Holy Spirit. Like these things, when I understand that God has a, a very personal concern, me. And he has a personal concern for you, too, and you, too. Like, when we begin to understand the kind of concern that he has for image bearers, well, then, when we reflect on that, when we see that, we grow in our disposition towards others that recognizes the immense, immense value that they have. Okay, uh, that's kindness. Humility. Humility is a way of thinking that considers self last amongst all others. A way of thinking that considers self last amongst all others. Um, So when I consider what Jesus set aside so that he might be like me, it says so that he might take on flesh, but not just that, ultimately that he might give his life for me. So Philippians 2 uh, verses 5 through 8 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but this is what he did. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So, so God, who's way up there, really big, really strong, really powerful, is not just up there, and he doesn't just have a special concern for me, but then he does something, he becomes like me. He sets aside his power for a period of time, he, 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 and he comes, and he becomes like me, and being found in human form, this is what it says, it says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when I reflect on the kind of humility that Jesus had, that he might be able to save me, well then I grow in my thinking of others as more important than myself meekness. Uh, meekness is a state of self-control that's governed by an attitude of submission. A state of self-control governed by an attitude of submission. So uh, when, I, when I wonder at the amount of power that Jesus uh, actually restrained at every single moment that he was on the earth. Like he had people mocking him and reviling him and and rebuking him and saying horrible things about him. And then he was not, not only that, but he was beaten. He was ultimately hung on a cross. And at every single moment, he is restraining inside himself the power of the Almighty because it's resonant within him. So when I think of the fact that at every single moment this was happening, he was restraining himself. The entire time, out of, out of his own submission to the Father's plan to, to save humanity, he chose to restrain this power that he had. So as I, as I think of that, and as I wonder at that, and as I, as I worship Jesus at the thought of that, what happens is that it, it grows and develops self-control in me in the midst of challenging circumstances, where people might do and say things against me. Finally, patience. This is the one that I thought that I had, but I don't really. Uh, Patience. An ability to endure things that might typically be burdensome. An ability to endure things that might be burdensome. Um, So uh, when I consider how frustrating I must have been, and honestly still sometimes can be, towards God. Like God wants all of these good things for me. And sometimes I just miss them completely. So when I consider how frustrating I must have been and still can be. And yet daily, God chooses to pursue me and remind me of his love for me and persist in his love for me. It says, like, one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. While we were still sinners. Which means, while we were still actively sinning, Christ died for us. Like, that's what he pursued us that far. So that is like... The, uh, the, the other word for patience in Scripture is long-suffering. That you would be able to suffer for a really long time. Like, God suffered long for us. That's the length of His patience, how big it is. And so I, I grow, as I reflect in that, as I consider that, uh, I grow in my ability, actually, to suffer long with difficult situations. Okay, so... What, what we need to understand is that grounding ourselves in who Jesus is is going to lead us to enacting these characteristics in our lives. Okay, so that's the list. Now, let's imagine you're getting ready to, like, walk into a situation, and you know that you're going to need, like, an extra dose of kindness, and maybe you got some people who are really hard to be kind to. I don't know. But you know you're going to need, need an extra dose of kindness. So there are two potential strategies. You could go in and you could say to yourself, okay, be kinder, be kinder. Uh, don't get mad, be kinder. Don't say, don't say hurtful things, but be kind. Okay, all right, I you do that, I'm going to tell myself that. And that might work for a little bit. Okay, so that, that might actually work for a little bit. It could be beneficial for a period of time. It, you could even actually appear kind to the people that you're with. But it does not create inside of your heart a disposition of kindness so uh, so how do you wire then? How do you wire if that 's the case? How do you wire kindness into your heart so that you can put on kindness so uh, so here 's another strategy so you go into that situation and instead of saying to yourself, "Be kinder, be kinder, be kinder, try harder, do better um, you're worshiping jesus so so you are uh, you Go into that, before you walk into that situation, you make sure you spend time in worship of Him, in awe of Him, in wonder of Him. You're praying to Him, asking for His help. Uh, maybe you play worship music that, that makes you grateful for what He has accomplished. Maybe you read Scripture beforehand that enables you to reflect. Maybe you spend time just praising Him for His kindness that He constantly shows to you. But if this were our regular pattern, if it were this, instead of try harder and do better, uh, if this were our regular pattern, it, kindness would actually kind of just like fall out of us. Like if we spent our time investing in worship of Jesus, like the characteristics of Jesus would kind of just pour out of us. So, so strategies, um, these are the strategies for how we put these things on. And that, that strategy is primarily worship of Jesus. Okay, so now he's going to move to talk about the opportunities that we actually have to exercise these things, the places that these characteristics can play themselves out. So verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. So we actually, like, the expectation is not that just these things are going to describe us, but that we'll actually have opportunities to let them play out. So, uh, so these characteristics have two really clear ways in Paul's mind that, that they're going to be played out. The first is in our ability to bear with each other. Okay, so reality check, community, a church community in particular, is all, like, full of unmet expectations full of things that we wanted, that, that we just failed to see come to fruition. This is actually like, I wish I could say otherwise, but I promise you that this is a place where at some point I will be disappointed, at some point you will be disappointed. Like that's just what's going to happen here. Um, and I, now, there are lots of good things too. I'm not trying to like paint, paint a bleak picture here, but the reality is, is that's what happens when people are in community with each other. And so are you willing to bear with people who might fall short of your expectations? Your ability to do so is going to be dependent on how much those characteristics have developed inside of you. And those those characteristics developing depends on our worship of Jesus. Okay, so that's that's bearing with each other. What about our ability to forgive each other? So so then, like, I, I, I imagine bearing with is like... We have a line that people can't cross. And, and when we have to bear with people, it's, it's usually with the people who get really close to that line, but they never cross the line. And then, and then there are some people who cross our line, whatever it might be. Sometimes they're arbitrary. Sometimes they're objective, sure. But then there are people who cross our line. Uh, and, and then we have to decide, are we going to forgive them? Are we going to create space for them? Or will we continue to maybe treat them differently than others? Will we spend our time trying to avoid them? Uh, will we maybe wish they would go away? Uh, maybe we'll harbor ill will towards them. These are things that we could do. Or we could forgive them and treat them as though they had not crossed that line. Now, we, obviously, we have to remember that uh, you know, people. We, there's like a line of trust that has to be rebuilt and that kind of stuff. But... We don't relate to them differently. We still have a, 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 made, a maintenance of our relationship with them. So do you forgive them? Just as God and Jesus has forgiven you. And don't, rem, don't miss the fact that uh, there in, in, uh, in verse 13, Paul reminds them, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So uh, Paul, he provides then, moving from there an overarching characteristic that that describes all of the other characteristics. Like if you could plug everything else in, this is how it would would plug in in verse 14. It says, Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So above every other characteristic, the one that overarches all of them, the one that all of the others flow out of, is love. So here's the crazy thing. When love is like the supreme characteristic that describes you, you know, actually like, Bearing with people becomes a lot less like bearing with and a lot more joyful. An opportunity where we get to show grace to our brothers and sisters. Forgiving someone, actually, like it can become a privilege when love is what describes all of these characteristics. Because it's an opportunity for us to exhibit towards others what Christ has so clearly exhibited towards us. Finally, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Um, So when it talks about ruling, it says the peace of Christ needs to rule in your heart. There's like one other place in the book that the word is used. And it takes us back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 18. This is what it says. It says, let no one disqualify you so disqualify and rule are the same word. They're, they're using the same root word there, which tells us that Paul is, is kind of referencing back to what he said previously. So when he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, that was back when Paul was talking about like people were making determinations about the faith of people and the genuineness of their faith based on whether or not they were having certain experiences, whether it be visions or maybe they were worshiping angels, something like that. But people were making judgments about people and actually like disqualifying people, saying that faith was not genuine if they didn't have these experiences. And so when Paul takes us back to that word, what he's saying is instead of letting people judge you, based on whether or not you've had certain experiences or based on whether or not you can conform to the, the certain standards of behavior in the Jewish tradition, um, uh, whether, whether or not like you, those things describe you, he's saying you can let people judge you based on that or you can let the peace of Christ be what judges your heart. So what is the peace of Christ? The peace of Christ is our security in Christ what Christ has accomplished. And that's his whole point this whole time. He's saying, don't let those things describe your identity. Your identity is in Jesus. So let your security be in Jesus. Let, let, uh, let what Jesus has done be what judges your heart, be what rules your heart, that you might be at peace. So instead of letting your heart be unsettled by the fact that you don't meet certain expectations, that you don't look as good as that person, or you don't, uh, you don't handle things in quite the same way, instead of letting that be what determines the position of your heart. Let your heart be settled in Jesus. The Jesus who has paid for your sin in full on the cross, who has risen from the dead. Let your peace be in Jesus. And at the end of verse 15, Paul finally says, Be thankful. It says the culmination of your personal worship, as you look at Jesus with awe and wonder, Let gratefulness, thankfulness, be what describes you. Okay, so that's our personal worship. And as we worship, we want to be able to put on these characteristics. Okay, so before we move any further, there's one massive thing I think that we need to notice. And it's that Paul fully expects that the primary place where these characteristics are going to play out is in Christian community. That's his full expectation. Like, these are the, this is the place, this church is the place where we get to exercise these characteristics. You know, we live in an incredibly individualistic culture so that we tend to think we can separate our personal worship from being a part of the church. But the place, the place where our, our personal worship is most fully realized, fully carried out, is within the church community that has been bought and redeemed by Jesus. So that's, that's, that's where our personal worship, that's how it plays out. That's the place where we get to practice and exercise and figure out what it looks like to worship Jesus in such a way that these, these characteristics start to pour out of us. Okay, so that's personal worship. And then Paul transitions um, from personal worship to corporate worship. So we're going to talk now about the pathway of our corporate worship. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. So, uh, so he's talking specifically about the things that we do when we gather together. Uh, so So, the primary space for, like for our church, the primary space where we cari- carry out these commands is in our sunday morning service like that 's the place where this stuff gets carried out for us and So, so you might look because we, we do like we pour a fair amount of energy into what we do on Sunday morning. This is the time when the most people show up like this is the the thing like if people are serving, most people are serving on Sunday morning, okay? so we have to ask a question. Why is what we do on Sunday morning so important? And this gives us the answer. So uh, first of all, it gets us all together at the same time. Okay, so that's valuable. And Sunday morning just happens to be the time that that works out. We all can get together at the same time. So uh, the second thing it does is that it grounds us. It says the word of Christ. It grounds us in the good news of about Jesus. So word of Christ up there is not just uh, broadly God's word, although we are grounded in God's word here at this church, and that's really important, um, but it's specifically the good news about Jesus, that our worship gatherings, and honestly, like the reason that the church has gathered on Sunday mornings for so long Is because that's the day when Jesus rose, and so what they're saying by moving it from uh, the Jewish uh, Sabbath on Saturday to Sunday, what they're saying is this thing determines our identity now—the fact that Jesus rose—and which is a core part of the gospel, his resurrection. And so, even on the day they're letting the word, the day that they chose together, they're letting the the good news about Jesus um, ground them together. But uh, so, so that's um, that's the next piece of. Our worship gathering. A third reason why it is so important that we would worship together is this. It helps us to grow in a common understanding of God's word. So that's the teaching part, where we are taught, where we understand together, where we grow in our our learning together so that we can better look at what it it looks like for, for us to glorify God and obey God as a body. Uh, Number four, it challenges us. So that's what it says, an admonishing. So we all come being formed by some culture or some value or some family, and we all bring all of our junk here to bear on Sunday morning, and something about what we hear or what we encounter on Sunday morning is likely going to challenge us. It's likely going to call us to change in some way, and that's what the admonishing is about. Uh, The fifth thing that it does is that it's the means by which we together collectively offer our praise to God. So we get together, and now we have an opportunity to thank God. Sure, we might thank God in individual spaces, but now we can look and see what God has done for us, that He has won our salvation, that He is working for our good, and we can collectively offer our praise to Him. And the last thing that it does is that our gathering here is the catalyst for our gratefulness. So when it says thankfulness up there, the word is actually like Eucharist, um, so, if you're, in, if you're from maybe like an Anglican background, um, Episcopal, or even maybe some Catholic backgrounds, you hear the word Eucharist, and you think communion. Like, that's, like that's the connection in your mind. The word Eucharist, though, is, is simply the word thankfulness. So when people took communion, what that tells us is that the goal of communion, the goal of taking the elements of, uh, of the body, the broken body, to remind us, and, and the blood to remind us of what Jesus went through, like the goal of that was to build up thankfulness inside of us. So our weekly worship gathering, it takes the whole motley crew of us and, uh, and engages us in a powerful pattern that is built to fix our attention on Jesus to offer him praise and then to open our ears to how he might direct us. So the big idea is this. Our worship of Jesus fuels our growth in Jesus. Our worship of Jesus fuels our growth in Jesus. So on Sunday mornings, we, we uh, take part in a, a corporate pattern, a, a pattern where we're all together of worship that, that we carry into our lives during the week And hopefully, that pattern that we encounter on Sundays carries us into a pattern of personal worship during the week. So that as we engage this process, and as we go through over and over again, uh, Jesus forms us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. So, um, just talking about what this church does, uh, we've been spending some time, Talking about change at this church, just because of the reality of like the season that we're in and all of that stuff. Change the word change has come up a lot. So I want to I want to talk to you this morning about things that will never change at this church. I think it'd be valuable for us to understand things will ne- that will never change. In particular, I want to talk about things that will never change about our worship services at ABC. So I'm going to put four. These are four non-negotiables for our cor- corporate worship services. First is this, the good news about Jesus will always be proclaimed. The good news about Jesus will always be proclaimed. And and if it's not in word on Sunday morning, so say I'm going through some obscure uh, Old Testament passage, we might remind you, whoever's preaching up here might remind you of how it connects to the bigger story of Jesus, uh, but but you might not see it directly in that passage. So if it's not in word, then at that point, it's going to be in song. Because our songs lift high the name of Jesus. Uh, The second thing, actually, before I I want to tell you a story about this. So, um, I uh, when I uh, I was a part of a church plant, and then that church plant closed down when I was in college, and then uh, and so I had to find a new church, and so uh, I spent it was I I I spent like a month, uh, two months trying to find a new church, trying to figure out the place that I'm going to go. And um, when I would go to the churches, they would be, you know, evangelical churches, you know, like churches that are uh, about the Bible, about proclaiming who, uh, who Christ is, right? So I would go, and I would sit through the whole worship service, and I wouldn't hear anything about Jesus. And it was so hard for me, because, like, this is the reason we are gathered together, Right? Like, that was a non negotiable for me. I could not uh, go to th- those churches where I, like, if I came in on a Sunday morning and I didn't hear something about Jesus, I was really concerned, right? Because this, like, without Him, we don't gather. Okay, so that's, that's my story. The um, second thing, um, second non negotiable, is that God's word will always be our instructor. So, uh, so whatever any person might have to say, no matter how good of a speaker they might be or whatever, like, it's only going to be significant here if what they have to say is grounded in, found out, in, in God's Word, if it has a foundation in God's Word. Like, so so we, like, people aren't going to come here just because they have a skill to talk, but, but the, the non-negotiable that we have is that God's Word is always going to be our instructor first and foremost. Third, non-negotiable. Our songs, what we sing together, will always be God-centered. So uh, so there's this church that did, uh, and maybe you've heard about it before, on in their Easter service, to make a point, they did the song Highway to Hell. I want to tell you, we're not going to do the song Highway to Hell here. <laughs> I just want to let you know. <laughs> for, for, for multiple reasons. But uh, because the purpose of of our gathering together in our worship services to lift high and extol the name of Jesus. And so that's something that we're not going to do. Uh, The fourth thing, we should expect, every time we gather together, we should expect to discover a clear next step for growth. We should expect to discover a clear next step for growth. So this is actually, like, when I preach, this is why I always do a so what, so that, like, I haven't talked for... Uh, 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 so I haven't talked for like some period of time. And then, uh, and then you walk out of here and, uh, and you don't have anything to go home with, right? Like I want to make sure that, that it's really clear in your head. Okay, when I go home, like this is how uh, faith, this is what faithfulness looks like. I want to make sure that we always know what a next step for growth looks like. Okay, so uh, Paul finishes his, his section about worship. And then uh, he goes to verse 17. This is what he says. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we are a Jesus people. This is a Jesus church. And as Jesus' church, we need to have our hearts constantly fixed on him so that we might practice gratefulness to God, so that he might use our wor- worship to actually shape us into the kind of people that he desires us to be. Okay, so what? First, uh, do you have regular patterns and practices uh, in place that will enable you to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? So do you have regular patterns and practices that let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? And you might have a, a, a this is so worshiping with us corporately together here. That is definitely, um, if you're here this morning, then yeah, like that's a that's a regular pattern in practice. Um, and then beyond that, so so everybody might you might answer yes to that, or yeah, I wish I had more or something like that. Um, so I'm going to actually challenge everybody, whether or not um, you would answer yes to that question, and I challenge everybody on number two. What is one more practice? that you could initiate that would push you more towards awe and wonder of Jesus? What's one more practice? So uh, I'll give you some strategies and then uh, we'll, we'll talk at the end. So, uh, so maybe you could set an alarm on your phone. Um, maybe you set it around lunch. And that's going to remind you, okay, it's time for me to pray through a psalm right now. Uh, there's something called the YouVersion Bible app if you look it up on your phone, if you're an app person. That that actually is really customizable to send you reminders at different times and help you um, get you in the Word. Uh, Maybe you might take 10 minutes at the end of each day and um, offer thanks, reflect on your day, offer thanks to God and see how He has been faithful to you. Uh, Maybe you're going to listen to something encouraging in the car. Uh, something, something that's going to help to ground your faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe you'll pick a different verse each day. And you could do this. You could pick a verse for the day. That, and then you're going to just take that verse and you're going to chew on it the whole day. And you're going to set reminders and say, okay, remember that verse. Think on that verse. Reflect on that verse. Um, what does it tell me about who God is? What does it tell me about myself? Um, and so, so you'll set reminders for that. Maybe you'll, uh, maybe you'll th- think creatively. And uh, come up with your own way, um, maybe uh, this is actually a really good thing, like um, have a conversation with people around the dinner table about okay what 's well, maybe you 're doing something maybe you 're not, and that 's good, but what 's one more thing that you could do to regularly inspire inside of yourself awe and worship of Jesus? Have a, have a conversation about it, but i 'd encourage you to do that so this is what i 'm going to do i 'm going to to pray and then we are going to respond with a song in worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have accomplished for us in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we we were not left to our own devices, that we were in a desperate situation. You pulled us out of the desperation of our situation. Lord, that you... You called us to something good and right. Lord, I thank you that you saw us, that you know us. And Lord, I pray that, that we would be drawn, our hearts would be drawn more and more to awe and wonder of who you are. And that as, as that happens, Lord, that, that these characteristics that are sometimes so hard to have, Lord, that they would just start to fall out of us. Lord, that people would see these things falling out of us and they would glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, this is a work that only you can do and so we we pray that you would just move us more and more towards awe and worship of you even in our, our daily lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.